Hello, I'm Garni Barkajarian of the Pacific Neuroscience Institute and CNS member for more than 10 years. What I love most about being a member is access to cutting edge science and the opportunities that have advanced my career. I've also gained new colleagues and lifelong friends. Being a CNS member has been so rewarding. The value of membership cannot be defined by a number. Join me and the over 10,000 neurosurgeons who are making a difference in the world. Visit cns.org slash membership podcast today. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Amir Vokshor. Uh, welcome to the CNS uh, Optimizing Neurosurgical Practice podcast. It's my uh, honor and pleasure to have Dr. Daniel Kelly as our guest for this episode, uh, talking about the neurosurgical mindset. And, um, you know, I've been in practice about 20 years, and even though Dan uh, and I are not uh, partners per se, I've uh, often uh, looked at him and used him as a role model, and uh, uh, just he's been an inspiration in what we can do in neurosurgery as far as uh, both growing a, a great uh, group practice as well as like the right mindset. And I, I, I'm going to use this word multiple times during this podcast, uh, almost uh, like an emotional cadence of uh, being a, a leader and being a neurosurgeon and being very active uh, in the surgical theater, but also having like a sense of balance uh, as we form relationships with colleagues uh, and uh, our entire neurosurgical team, as well as patients. Uh, as well as sort of a, you know, he's been a little bit of an example of work-life balance that I want to, I want him to comment on, and we'll get deeper into that. But, you know, I think Dr. Dr. Kelly needs no introduction, but I do want him to go into details about how he got here and what his practice uh, entails currently. So, Dan, uh, please take it away. Give us an introduction of, of your practice. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, Amir. It's been great being colleagues with you over the many years uh, since I joined uh, St. John's Health Center back in 2007, um, which is in Santa Monica. Um, before that, I was at UCLA for 14 years. I was junior faculty and then rose up to vice chief of the division, uh, working under Neil Martin, um, and had a great run there, developed a, essentially a, a pituitary and brain tumor practice, um, but started to get... Um, a little bit uh, interested in looking at some other options and um, heard about the John Wayne Cancer Institute, uh, which was actually part of UCLA until 1991 when the whole institute defected and moved to St. John's Health Center. And so there was a quite an active program there in melanoma and breast cancer. They had no neuro-oncology and it looked like a, a great opportunity. And um, I started discussions with the people at the Cancer Institute in 2005 and ultimately made the move to come over to St. John's uh, essentially by myself um, to start a neurosurgical practice focused in, in the realm of um, brain tumors. Um, I, I quickly um, partnered with Chester Griffiths, who's an ENT, and Howard Krauss, who's a neuro-ophthalmologist, and um, you know, started doing a, a practice here, um, had developed a fellowship training program um, got very involved in 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 that, and <clears throat> over time, uh, I recruited Garni Barkadarian, who I'm sure many people know, um, in 2012, and 
things were going along very well, but as as you know, we started to grow more, um, the idea of of budding off of the Cancer Institute, so to speak, came into mind. And because um, you know, we were doing a lot of benign brain tumors, pituitary tumors, obviously, not a lot of cancer, although we were doing a lot of that as well. Um, but also, uh, Garney was developing a facial pain practice, hydrocephalus. We started working with the vascular uh, team, the interventionalists. And so over time, the the idea of Pacific Neuroscience Institute sort of blossomed. And we we recruited Dr. Santos Casey, uh, Casery, who's a neuro-oncologist from UC San Diego in 2014. And, and um, over this time, St. John's, which is part of a, was part of what's called the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth, the big Catholic healthcare system, switched hands. It was transferred to Providence. And ultimately, um, we formed an alliance, what's called a professional services agreement with, with um, Providence for, for the PNI Medical Group. And that was, that was um, activated in September of 2017. So we're now in the in the the seventh year of a ten year agreement with Providence. They've been very good partners, um, and our group when we when we signed the um, the PSA with Providence, we were seventeen docs in the medical group, and now we have just about forty. So we've grown a lot. We now cover um, four stroke centers, um, including uh, St. John's, uh, Little Company of Mary, St. Joe's and Burbank, and Holy Cross further up in the valley. We have neuro-oncology clinics at six different hospitals, um, and we have a very busy, full, sort of a satellite PNI down at Little Company of Mary in, in Torrance, uh, led by uh, Wally Sivakumar, who is one of our fellows. And so we, we've created um, what I, I would describe as a, as a unique private-demic institute um, that um, uh, I would say a majority of the faculty are involved in academic work. Many of us came, were, you know, were formal uh, UC refugees or other academic refugees that came into this private-demic um, universe. And I think um, there's nothing quite quite like us. It's, a, it's, it's centered around um, our, our centers of excellence. Um, we have now, I think, 10 centers of excellence, but brain tumor and pituitary and skull base is really where, where the center started. Um, but we now have, as I said, facial pain, hydrocephalus, um, a neurovascular center, movement disorder center, a brain health center. And we now have a, a, a center what we call the TRIP center, which is um, focused on psychedelic assisted therapies. And so um, it's a very broad multidisciplinary approach. Um, the the neurosurgical aspect, um, the the clinic that I'm sitting in today uh, is right across from the St. John's Health Center, um, and one of the one of the things that we really wanted to promote is is sort of um, care under one roof. And so, in this building, a patient can come with a pituitary tumor and can be seen by uh, Dr. Griffiths of ENT, Dr. Krauss of Neuroophthalmology. They can see our endocrinologist and they can see me. And that's a that's a pretty unique thing that can all be you know knocked out in a day, and um, the patients uh, really really like that. And I think this sort of pa patient centric approach has been something that we've really tried to um, promote. Um, the the other you know area that we have that we've really pushed on is is the the concept of minimally invasive or keyhole approaches to all types of brain tumors and skull based tumors and. We've been very busy academically in this over the last, you know, 
15 years and have published quite a bit and put on courses. And um, I think it's something that we really strive for, uh, you know, complication avoidance, short length of stay. Um, in the Providence system, which has 51 hospitals here at St. John's Health Center, um, where Garney and I are, are doing the, the majority of the work, um, we have the, the lowest uh, length of stay, lowest ICU utilization um, in the whole uh, system. Um, but we're rivaled now by Little Company of Mary, where Wally Sivakumar is, as he's he's trying to push us, you know, so um, it's good we have a little competition within the group. Um, so that's a that's a broad overview. Um, uh, you know, I would say that I'm I'm blessed with really great partners. Um, you know, both in the in the in the medical group, um, but also I would say with with Providence has been a very good partnership with us um, as well. And then our yeah. foundation, which I can get into later, but that's one of the other unique things about us. We're the only medical group in the whole Providence system that has our own nonprofit. And that has been hugely helpful um, with our partnership with uh, Providence, uh, with the St. John's Health Center Foundation, who have helped fund a lot of the academic work and, and training work that we that we do. That's incredible. I really could, we we could literally have a conversation about every one of the topics you just mentioned. And one of my favorite things about you is addressing this concept of uh, brain health uh, with, within a center that has neurosurgery available, which was very, very rare when I was uh, training. You know, neurosurgeons just didn't want to deal with, uh, you know, psychedelic assisted therapy. They, they, they thought it had nothing to do with neurosurgery. And in fact, when you think about how important brain health is, even perioperatively, I think that just goes to 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 really emphasize your uh, vision of of integration, and that's really really commendable. Um, so tonight, however, we're going to put you on the on on the on the hot seat about um, your own personal journey from a mindset standpoint, which I'm you know I'm very curious about. A huge fan of what you've been able to accomplish, but, you know, I'll just, I'll just go into some of the, some of the more, more nuanced topics that, you know, I think came to me during training and during some of the uh, sort of a postgraduate evolution as a surgeon. And, and the, the, the biggest thing that comes in is, you know, we train to have this level of grace under pressure at all times when an aneurysm blows in our face and, um, and, and that I think does something to our operating system, which at some, in some individuals can make us almost dry or almost, um, I want to say like adrenaline junkies that can't deal with normal life. But you seem to have, have overcome that despite the stressful and challenging situations in the operating room, you kind of leave it there and come to um, have everyday life as a normal human being and not as this, you know, the, the, the classic label of a neurosurgeon. And I just want you to comment on that about your, you know, what, what you do for, to gain emotional balance in and out of the operating room. Yeah. Good question. I'm not sure I'm so emotionally balanced, but I'll try to at least give you the impression that that's the case. Um, <laughs> uh, no, you, you know, I think this is really important, um, that we, I think one of the most important things is about being honest with yourself and what you know, what you know and what you don't know. And when you do have a screw up, 
when you do something really to take a close look at it and to, um, you know, my tendency is when I have a bad complications, I really beat myself up pretty badly for a while. And it, it's, it really puts me into a funk. And, you know, fortunately these events are, you know, less and less common. Um, if they become more and more common, by the way, I think that's a good time as we get older to think about, you know, exiting uh, the OR. That's, but, that's very think, interesting. That's very interesting because uh, you know, the pits is what we call it, right? In residency, when you're, when you have a bad complication, you know, it's difficult to be in that funk that last can last, unfortunately, a long time, but you're dealing with the next case and the next patient and you still have to be yeah. at your best. So yeah, I'd love for you to comment on that. It 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 comes at you, and I and I think you know over the over the years I've developed my my coping skills, and I think some of them is that you know um, that you have to acknowledge that you're going to have them. You have to learn from each one. Um, I think being honest with the patients is critical. <clears throat> you need to discuss your complications with your colleagues, and you need to figure out how it it shouldn't happen again, you know, um, in the heat of the moment, you know, obviously trying to remain calm. That's, <clears throat> that's a hard thing to do, you know, arguably, and some people do it, do it better than others. It's not, it's not one of my, my strongest suits, I would say, but I think that, you know, we get, we get through them. I, I think, um, you know, being present situational awareness in the OR you know, we're all so distracted these days. And I think, um, you know, when you go into the OR, you really need to be in the OR. That's where all your focus needs to be. And you do need to anticipate where problems are going to are going to come from um, and and just try to avoid them. Um, I mean, you know, I learned this, you know, the hard way with carotid artery injuries and endonasal surgery. And, you know, I had a couple early on when I was at UCLA and you know, fortunately, no one died, but you know they were traumatic for the patient and, and for the for the surgeon. And yes. we started using the Doppler on on every case. And you know, I I don't leave home without it now. I mean, we use it on every case, and we you know we use it um, uh, in our uh, transcranial cases as well. And you know, our injury rate has gone way 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 down. And I I think that's probably saved a lot of lives and avoided a lot of strokes over the years and and fortunately i think that 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 practice has has circulated out into the community as well and and um so you know there's things that we can do and that we learn um in terms of life balance um for me life is not all about neurosurgery um you know i spend now it was for a time, certainly when I was in my training, certainly I was a junior faculty at UCLA and when I first came over here. But, you know, over the last 10 years, 12 years, I've, you know, gotten more involved. I was on the, the, the board of the hospital for over a decade. I was a chief of neurosurgery for over a decade. You know, those things take take time. But what's really taken time is building P&I and creating these centers of excellence and um, so I have a lot of sort of administrative things to do as well. Um, but, you know, so my neurosurgical practice isn't quite as big as it used to be, but it's it's big enough. It's big enough for me now. But I think having things that you like to do on the outside is really um, critical. You know, I have a, a good home life. You know, I, I have a 
a good, a great marriage with my wife, and uh, we have two grown daughters. Um, I I exercise regularly. I do a lot of exercise. I have a regular meditation practice. Um, I um, I read a lot, and um, you know I do a lot of stuff that's out and be well beyond neurosurgery that I think um, keeps me sane. That's great, Dan. Uh, you know you hit a lot of really important nuggets there. And again, we could spend a lot of time on each one of them. But uh, another really good hot seat question is traditionally, you know, we were we were trained not to lose objectivity. And so our emotional connection to the patient was always through a little bit of a veil or a little bit of a wall. There was always a distance because, you know, you had to be very, very scientific about uh, giving them information about percentages and you know, uh, how many months they their, their loved one may have to live. And I just want to ask you personally, you know, um, when you are dealing with a situation like that, when you have to have one of those challenging talks with the family, are you, you know, do, do, you, do you get personally engaged to the point that, you know, you may shed a tear with the family or do you try to keep balance and objectivity at all costs so that you may, you know, make a, a very objective decision uh, based on neurosurgical practice and which one, uh, you know, how do you balance those two out? Because you're, you know, you're a human being and you, uh, yeah. you may feel bad for a situation. Well, I think if you, if you become too objective um, and you lose sight of the fact that you're dealing with a, a human being who has a family and you know, aspirations and desires. Um, if you become too hardcore in that that approach, sort of dehumanizing, I, I think you you kind of lose the point of the whole thing, frankly. Um, I think, you know, we are extremely fortunate to be doing what we're doing and people put incredible trust into us. And, you know, the, the idea of, you know, I always tell people we're going to go for, maximal safe resection when it comes to tumors. You know, that's that's the goal. We're going to get as much out as we can, and we're going to try our best not to hurt you. So you can go on with your life. You can get on to adjuvant therapy if you need it, or, you, or that's it, you know, one and done. Um, I always try to say, you know, what were, how would I feel if this were my family member? How would you want to be talked to if this were your family member? Um, and that's always a good sort of um, reference point. Um, you know, there are some cases certainly that get you more emotionally charged. Uh, I just, we had the, the experience over the last few months of operating on two young women, both in their 20s. Really nice, smart um, women who had low-grade gliomas, one a... a um, a, a basically a retrochiasmal hypothalamic glioma, another one with a large intraventricular tumor. Both of them turned out to be pilocytic astrocytomas, which was fantastic, but um, unusual that they clustered together and, you know, very much around the age of my, of my daughters, you know, so we're in their twenties as well. And so that was, um, that was pretty, um, Interesting. And, 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 um, you know, I connected very much with the dads and the moms because, you know, they're just freaking out and they were, you know, in the first couple visits, some, you know, they were, 
it was just very hard for them. And you could just see them going through it. And and you you got to be there, I think, for that. You got to absorb some of that else. You I think you really kind of, you know, maybe lose your way a little bit with what the goal is here. Really well said. Um, and fortunately, both of them are doing great. And, and you know, and and we I'm just I'm thrilled that they're doing doing great. And, and um, you know, it's not over yet, but but um, that's just an example where I think you can really be pulled in and, and you need to be pulled in a little bit. I think that's a great um, sort of like compass or North Star to uh, to strive for that the balance that you're just describing and really describes you as a as a type of neurosurgeon you've become. Um, another kind of personal question. So, you know, I consider everything, everything we do is ultimately an operating system that we are training, which is our own nervous system. Do you have, you know, like meditation you mentioned, do you have an energy management strategy? Uh, you know, any, um, uh, anything you do around the time of a very challenging surgery with your own energy, as far as, you know, I feel like we're doing that automatically anyway. Yeah. But do you have a practice that manages your uh, physical, emotional, and psychological mindset around um, uh, a challenging case? So what I do is um, in the, in the mornings, you know, before surgery, I, I, um, my my routine every morning is is to get up and and stretch and do some light weights and then I do my meditation practice and before I do that I have a little bit of coffee in between the stretching and the weights and the and the meditation um and then I don't eat I I never eat before operating um I don't eat till you know lunch or whenever I'm done with the first case um I just do much better on an empty stomach and um, I do a lot of intermittent fasting. So, you know, if I eat dinner, you know, seven at night and then the next day I won't eat till, you know, noon or one or two. And for me, that works really well. Um, and I'm the most clear headed. There's nothing there's nothing that slows me down more than a than a full stomach, I would say. So I, I think that's a that's how I maintain my energy now a really long case or late in the day you know do i i get something i get yeah i get refueled with some real food but not too much <laughs> i like that mental clarity of, of fasting is pretty 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 amazing i'm very surprised by it it's great yeah um uh you know uh two more questions one very kind of every day do you have any advice for Younger neurosurgeons who are having a tough time, you know, healthcare is under incredible pressures. Uh, the sector is contracting. Uh, and I think neurosurgery is a stressful job at its baseline. But now we're dealing with more and more administrative things and things that are not necessarily taught the doctors early on, like the business of, of uh, creating PNI, which you probably learned on the spot because you didn't have a you know medical school course about it. <laughs> Any advice to someone who's having a tough time in early career uh, as far as, uh, you know, to prevent burnout and, uh, you know, commit? Yeah. To that? That's a great question. I, I can tell you with a great degree of certainty that when I <clears throat> when I left UCLA, I did not know exactly what I was going to create. I did not know where this was going to go. I did not know much about contracts. I didn't know anything. Um, I... Um, 
And so it was definitely, you know, learning on the job beyond, you know, continuing to learn how to do neurosurgery properly. You know, we never stopped learning that. We never stopped learning from our mistakes. I love that. I guess I would say that, you know, when you're coming out of practice, um, be patient with yourself and really try to understand what you like doing. You know, try to create a practice that you enjoy doing those cases and take caring, taking care of those patients. I think that's really important and surround yourself with good colleagues. Um, you know, there's not, nothing worse than, you know, um, partners that are, that are challenging. And I, and I, you know, I don't have any, I mean, I, I mean, we've had a, a, a few people, but it's very few and, and nothing, you know, terrible, but I think choosing your partners really carefully is critical and you want to be of a, of a similar mindset. And I, I think that really goes, goes a long ways and, um, you know, and try to have a good family life as well. I mean, you know, it's easier said than done and things happen with people, but, you know, I think that, that sort of, um, um, those ingredients are really key to surround yourself with a supportive family and, and colleagues um, and be patient with yourself and learn, you know, keep your eyes open and um, look for the appropriate uh, opportunities that suit, suit your skill set and your, your, you know, your likes and your desires. I, I can vouch for you there. Uh, you know, I, I love uh, doing what I do, which is microscopic, minimally invasive spine surgery. But when I come to your room sometimes just to, uh, you know, take a look at a challenging skull-based case or you know, just enjoy the the, the beautiful 3D uh, uh, visualization that you guys have in pituitary tumors. It really shows that you 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 enjoy what you're doing from minute to minute, and you're you're fully committed. So uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing to see, and I, it is an absolute privilege to, to do what we do. Uh, and I feel that way every day. You know, just decompressing at, at any nerve or any part of the spinal cord, etc. Um, so, but one final question, which is, which is really gets to what you created. And this is, you know, this is something more maybe for a different type of podcast, but do you have any, um, uh, <laughs> overall life purpose advice after you've, you've seen, you know, you, you, you've done, uh, you know, podcasts about psychedelics and sort of deep existential, um, uh, journeys that you've been on yourself and uh, you know and I've always kind of picked your brain about you know what is this uh, uh, what is the next level of evolution that the human mind can go through and I always think our nervous system is not being used to its uh, ultimate potential and uh, you know uh, whether we're in some kind of a simulation or whatever I'm always saying mm. that we, we have we have bigger firepower than than we have uh used so far and i wanted to just pick your brain a little bit on that mostly because i don't get time to, to see you enough and you know this would be a great opportunity uh, maybe we can close out on, on something deep uh in that in that realm that's a that's a question for a week-long retreat i think amir um <laughs> but i will say that uh interestingly when my my pathway to neurosurgery was really a, a pathway from being interested in human evolution in college and evolution of intelligence. And um, then I got interested in the neurosciences and, and you know, I, I couldn't see myself being a neurology because I, I, I wanted to be hands-on and I like sort of the athletic 
challenge and the beauty of the anatomy of neurosurgery. But I will say that, you know, part of the reason we created brain health was because I just think there's so much more going on. And the, um, you know, this psychedelic renaissance going on is another thing that has just, you know, pulled me back in and takes me back, frankly, to some of my my youth, my college days. And and it's um, it's like returning back to something there I, where I knew there was, a, you know, core um, realities or potential insights into, you know, consciousness and the universe and those things. And, you know, it's getting way out there, but, but that, that kind of um, thing really, really excites me. And, and, and so, you know, as time goes on, as I get older, you know, I'm going to be 65 in less than a year. Um, you know, I'll probably be spending more and more time um, helping ad advance you know psychedelic science and and those areas because that's that's really where my my passion is sort of leading me right now i would say that's wonderful dan and we're very similar that way as well so i, I look forward to seeing you continue to uh trailblaze in that in that <laughs> that realm as well and look forward to joining your 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 team and your cause that way uh, thank you very much. That's uh, that's all the time we have for today, although we really could go on uh, for a long time with Dr. Kelly. Uh, I'd like to take a couple of takeaway messages that Dr. Kelly mentioned here is uh, his patient-centric uh, approach, uh, his empathy as a neurosurgeon, his uh, personal energy management strategy, which I think is great to prevent burnout, and his evolution as a neurosurgeon, but also as a human being. All of which, um, you know, is the reason why I, I chose uh, you to interview, Dan. So thank you very much for being a part of the, uh, the teaching of the CNS uh, Optimizing Neurosurgical Practice podcast. Thank you, Amir. It's an honor to participate and um, great to be one of your one of your great colleagues. Thank you. Take care, Dan. Thanks, Amir.